This is the gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and it's episode 93 with this week's edition featuring an article asking, where have all the Dayton teams gone? Then I explain why it's an absolute crime to see such a historic sports town become a desert-like situation for the fans. This is the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Now for our host, Lee W. Mallon. Here's to the start of another great week, folks, and thanks for listening to the local Sunday Sports Podcast. As soon as I saw this article, I knew I wanted to dedicate an episode to it. That and because I'm pretty sure y'all sick and tired of the weekly updates by now. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This article is located at GemCitySports.com. It is written by my good friend and hopefully yours too, Brian Reese titled Dayton's Minor League Sports Crisis. As you might know, I broadcast, I announce, I social media, I work for a lot of sports teams in Dayton, Ohio, and have done so in my career. So Dayton, Ohio is my home, and Cincinnati is my backyard. That's why I started a podcast talking about both cities. This article written by Brian Reese is absolutely on the money, and I encourage you to read it on your own time, because on here, you know, would you really listen to me talk through an entire article? I will bring up a lot of great points, though. And the third paragraph is talking about the first two. What's missing? Dayton, Ohio. Apart from mentioning the Dutch Lions, there's nothing from Dayton. And that point is a lot of the Dutch Lions that you might see for the 2019 summer season, they were part of the Cincinnati Swerve and Cincinnati Sirens team, as we covered a couple episodes ago. Brian's big point is, where have all the teams in Dayton gone? The short answer is away. The long answer is away because there's not a lot of places to play around here. It is sad because Brian references the year 2005. That would have been the start of my senior year in high school. Wow, I feel old. Dayton virtually had it all. The Dragons baseball would be the fifth year at Fifth Third Field downtown Dayton. Basketball, we had the Dayton Jets, and I think they played at Hare Arena a little bit. Arena football, it was the Dayton Warbirds. It was before the Miami Valley Silverbacks moved to Hare Arena. Once at Hobart Arena, then became a road team for a season or two, then moved to Hare, became the Dayton Silverbacks, and then we had two years of the Dayton Sharks. But this is all 2005. Hockey, you still have the Dayton Bombers couple years before they folded up shop and soccer it doesn't list the team on there Dutch Lions didn't really become a thing until a couple years later Dayton had a team to satisfy any sports teams crave 
Nowadays, well, if you like baseball or family entertainment, the Dayton Dragons are still going strong. In fact, I believe the sellout streak is still continuing after five home games. Actually, technically four, because yesterday, Sunday, got rained out, didn't it? And you got the Dayton Dutch Lions in West Carrollton, Ohio. That's about it. You might have the Air Strikers. I tried looking it up last night for a little research, and they played in the Midwest Basketball League last year. This year, according to the standings, there have been three forfeits by Dayton. So I have no idea about that. If you look at the sporting scenes in Cincinnati and Columbus, which are probably the two closest big cities to Dayton, of course, you got the Reds, you got the Bengals making some exciting changes. FC Cincinnati's first year in the MOS. You got the Cyclones and the Kelly Cup playoffs, which, by the way, as an update, they have a 1-1 series record against the Wings of Kalamazoo. Won the first game 7-4 and lost the second game 2-0. And now I believe the series goes up to Michigan. In Columbus, you got the Blue Jackets, who are surprisingly 3-0 in series play. I'm not going to start celebrating until it's four wins for the Blue Jackets. It would be the first playoff series win ever in team history, and the Blue Jackets have been a thing since officially 1997, but they started in 2000. So my big point is, you got a lot of Cincinnati sports to talk about. You got a lot of Columbus sports to talk about. But, where's the Dayton sports? And, like I mentioned, Brian's article hits it out of the park. It's something that I recommend reading. Again, it's gemcitysports.com. Later on in the article, it talks about the facilities here. Fifth Third Field, great for baseball. One of the nicest minor league parks around. You got UD Arena which is set to begin its last leg of renovations. Phase 3 of 3 of a $72 million renovation, which has been a yearly home to the NCAA First Four, which would be a couple teams that play in Dayton, then move on in the bracket. I'm pretty sure you know how that works. Wright State University has the Nutter Center. It's been open since 1990. And actually, the first sporting event, I believe, wasn't a Wright State game. It might have been the Dayton Dynamo that summer, if I'm thinking about it. This is Dayton Dynamo 1.0, which played a couple places, Hera, Nutter, before moving down to Cincinnati for three seasons, then folding up shop. Now, some of the venues have their quirks. I mean, it's not cheap to rent out floor space. It's not. I mean... According to Brian's article, the Bombers were paying close to $25,000 per game to have ice at the Nutter Center, and that doesn't include practices. Some of the other rinks were more reasonable. I think Hera, actually, does it say Hera on here? It said Hobart, and it was pretty decent rate. In Fort Wayne, you got the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum, home of the Comets, and it's about... 2500 per game plus a cut of ticket sales. And in Wheeling, West Virginia, home of the Nailers, it's 3500 versus a cut of ticket sales 
for West Banco Arena. And having the Nutter Center about 25k per game, yeah, it's not cheap. I mean, beautiful facilities, but it's not cheap. Hobart Arena was about three to thirty-five hundred. Hair Arena about five thousand at the time. So yeah, Nutter, beautiful, but very pricey to play there. And of course, if you think about the Bombers' history moving from the Nutter to Hera, you have to wonder if the Bombers never left Trotwood, what would happen to Hera Arena, what would happen to the team, what would happen to the surrounding area. Because now Hera Arena's closed, as you might know. Trotwood, it's trying to reinvent itself. There's a lot of dead big box stores, which, you know, your Walmarts, your Targets... Cup Foods is still lurking out there. And really, the only things out there, you know, fast food joints. Heck, Target was there for a little bit, and then they closed along with Middletown store. But anyway, this is about sports, not about cities or areas. The average attendance for the Bombers, their final year, pulled up by Brian Reese, according to Wikipedia, was 3,679 per game. The Dayton Gems, who went over to Hare Arena and after the Bombers closed up shop, they averaged about 2,228 in their final year. That'd be the year before the Dayton Demons came in and... I think Dayton once made it to the 2000s, the Demons did, in terms of attendance, and it was a free ticket type of game. The the attendance gradually went down for hockey, and if someone were to start up a hockey team, really, if you're looking at a high attendance figure, it's... Uh, there's no venue that makes sense, cost-wise, or accessibility. Harris closed, like I mentioned. The rinks around here, while I love them, if you're trying to go the pro route, it's, uh, you're not, you might get a thousand type of thing. So, what else is there in terms of venues? Outdoors, Dayton Dynamo played at Welcome Stadium, which is the home of Dayton Public Schools soccer and football, and also University of Dayton football. And one year for the Dayton Dynamo 2.0 before moving to Chaminade Julian's Roger Glass Stadium. That was a temporary home for the Dynamo. Remember climbing up, climbing up the stairs to get to the press box. That is quite a hike. But there are venues available around here for outdoor sports. Dayton Dutch Lions call Dock Stadium home in West Carrollton. That's the home of the Pirates football and soccer teams, also Dutch Lions. Like I mentioned, this year they are bringing back a women's team, so I'm really excited to see that. Roger Glass Stadium's nice. It's owned by Chaminade Julian High School, and there is a possibility to serve alcohol there. The Dynamo did their last year of existence. Although, trying to get a license for that is uh, not too great, apparently. I don't know. Apparently, it's not cheap. Brian said it's not a cheap endeavor. I have no clue on that. I mean, indoor-wise, you got Trent Arena, which is the home of the Kettering 
Fairmont Firebirds basketball teams also flying to the hoop. You might know that event. Outside that, with another center, UD Arena, I mean, there's no hockey rinks, like I mentioned. A lot of the outdoor venues are owned by high schools. And if it's a public high school, you cannot serve alcohol. At least I believe that's why that reason is. There's also the Orbit Fun Center in Huber Heights. That's the home of the Gem City Roller Derby. And last year they called Dayton Convention Center home. They're doing that once this 2019 season. Mentioned Trent Arena. But outside that, if you get if you want a sports fix, you go to Columbus, you go to Cincinnati, maybe Indianapolis, maybe Fort Wayne, maybe Toledo. Why? Why is Dayton no longer seen as a great place for sports? Again, Brian Reese's articles on GemCitySports.com. As we jump into the second website, which I'm using for episode 93, Dayton Area Sports History. Org. It's the Dash. So, who has played sports in Dayton? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go full screen on that because it doesn't like the shrinked-up window. It talks about a lot of Dayton's great moments in history. Mike Schmidt, probably the most famous Daytonian in baseball. He's in the Hall of Fame. You got Edwin Moses who has broken records and winning gold medals in two Olympics. He's got a road named after him, Edwin C. Moses. It's the home of Welcome Stadium, UD Arena, also UD's baseball and softball facilities. And Ron Harper winning five NBA championships. Bill Hoskett, one of a select few to win basketball titles in high school, the Olympics, and the pros. Also, Gordy Lane winning four Stanley Cup championships with the New York Islanders. The birthing ground of the National Football League. Prepare for that to be a big topic throughout the weeks. Because like I mentioned, the NFL is putting in a turf field at Triangle Park. You know, the birthplace of the NFL. First game that helped build what we know today for the Bengals, the Browns, and everything. It was 1920, October 3rd, 1920 to be precise, with the Dayton Triangles hosting the Columbus Panhandles. Scary names, I know. We, I think we talked about it, maybe even last week, where the Triangles is named after the park, not because, you know, the shape is scary or something. Also, you have Chuck Knoll from UD winning four Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers as head coach John Gruden winning another in Tampa Bay and now the coach of the Oakland Raiders still don't know how that went up according to the website Dayton the first city to host the Soapbox Derby on Akron Dayton Marcos playing there Dayton Ducks world championship accomplishment by the World Basketball League Dayton Wings in 91 also a run in 1992 even though the league folded prior to 92's playoffs you have the University of Dayton and Wright State University of course Wright State winning a Division 2 national championship back in 1983 University of Dayton their last big title in men's basketball was the NIT title back in 2010 Golf courses laid out by acclaimed architect Nipper Campbell. NCAA championships in multiple sports at multiple levels. 
And another mention of the triangles. This is, again, DaytonAreaSportsHistory.org. Very, very nice website. It's also been redesigned as well. It's, it threw me off when I opened it. It's like, is this the right website? Of course, we have Earl Blake. I believe that's Blake. Earl Red Blake, who spent his youth in Dayton, became an All-American at Miami University in Oxford. We mentioned Chuck Knoll. Of course, Blake, the greatest coach in Army football history, was a hub, Dayton was, for golf club manufacturing in the early 20th century through the MacGregor Company. It talks about some of the rivalries. Of course, for Dayton Public Schools, there's now six high schools, but long ago, there were many, many more. And the rivalries, Steel versus Stivers is the big one. Although, Steel apparently closed up shop in 1940, so if you don't remember it, I don't either. Also talks about how there's the museum for Dayton sports history at Carillon Park, episode 25 with Leo DeLuca talks a little bit about that, also fight night. Also the Dayton Schroyers, of course Schroyer being a big road in Kettering leading up to Wilmington Pike in Dayton, Ohio. And that was a team that played against the Reds in the first night game involving a major league team in a major league park on September 12, 1931. I thought it was Reds in Philadelphia back then for the first night game, but Don Meineke, first NBA Rookie of the Year in 1953, former Dayton Flyer basketball star, only city to stage the PGA Championship in three different courses, Back in 1945 at the Moraine Country Club, the Miami Valley Golf Club in 1957, and the NCR Country Club back in 1969. The two-seater Stoddard Dayton won the first Indianapolis Motor Speedway back in 1909, and the first pace car ever was a Stoddard Dayton driven by Carl G. Fisher to start the 1911 race. Also, Rolla O. Pop Heikes winning of the first Grand American Trap Shooting Handicap Tournament in 1900. There's a lot that many Daytonians don't realize that's happened in this city. A lot of these are back-in-the-day type of thing. Sure, you can throw that out there. But it doesn't deter from the fact that Dayton, Ohio is a very, very good sports scene. And we had a good... Now we have two teams in the area, both for summer teams, and that's it. Of course, high school sports around here are great. You got many colleges, talk about those a lot on the podcast. And I still I still laugh at the fact that Sinclair Sports used to be called the Sinclair Satans back in nineteen sixty five. 66, 65, one of those years. Again, DaytonAreaSportsHistory.org. Plenty of great history around here. Talks about the triangles. Look at the jersey and logo back then. You see the rosters of the triangles from the 1920s. It's got baseball talk, basketball, more sports. And hockey is back under construction. That's a little disappointing. But they do talk about the triangles. Baseball is also in Cooperstown. 
right here. It talks about the Marcos, the baseball timeline. It tells you about from 1884 to now. The first team was the Dayton Gem Cities. That's a name for a team. The Dayton Gem Cities. Ohio State League charter franchise folded after one season. They got the ball underway for Dayton baseball history. There's Dayton Reds, Dayton Old Soldiers, Dayton Veterans, Dayton Old Soldiers again in a couple different leagues. Uh, Dayton Marcos, part of the Negro National League back in 1920, disbanded after that season. And then the Dayton Aviators disbanded 1930. A lot of these teams don't last terribly long, but at the same time, there's still the history going through there. The Dayton Ducks, actually Dayton Indians, would be the last try for baseball. The Indians, probably the longer-lasting of the squads, they disbanded after 1951 season. In the Ohio State League, which back then classed D, and then moved to the Central League A for a couple of years. And then, think about it, that's nearly a 50-year jump to get from Dayton Indians to Dayton Dragons. And Dragons are still going strong. You can make the argument that the Dragons are more caring towards families, but it's the part of minor leagues. Dragons get the players that Cincinnati signs them. Dragons almost won their first series of the year if it wasn't for that rain out or, you know, that Saturday loss. It is an interesting team to say the least, this 2019 Dayton Dragons squad, which is a good, you know, point to talk about when we're talking about the history of Dayton, Ohio sports. There's also more baseball, and it talks a lot. A lot of Financial insecurity of the time back then. Actually, I guess the Dayton Schroyers were not named for Schroyer Road. They're named after John Schroyer. And I guess the road's named after him. That would make sense. Maybe. I don't know. Someone can yell at me if that's not right. But yeah, Dayton area sports history. Lots of sports covered. And there's lots of pages under construction. Hopefully that gets fixed soon. Look at pro basketball a little bit. There's a nice timeline written by Jack Carlson, Roland R. Lark, R. Allen Baker, Margaret E. Peters, and Mark Katz. Of course, Mark Katz, I know him for his writing at Dayton Daily News. There are a lot of teams. And Dayton Wings, like I mentioned, won the league championship back in 1991. They were at the Nutter Center for the summer. There's also a women's professional basketball league team in the late 70s, the Dayton Rockettes. There's also the Dayton Mickeys, Mickeyes, sponsored by Milt, Little Mickey Friedman. They played at Stebbins High School, as Rice State did before they opened up the gym, which is now the bookstore at the campus. Which, by the way, there is a nice little... Diddy I'll talk about for Wright State because apparently there's a new facility that has been okayed being built and the <laughs> the rate of students actually voting on it is very dismal and it makes me quite upset but let's carry on basically again Dayton Area Sports History.org it covers the tremendous history 
of Dayton sports in the area. It's not just Dragons. It's not just, you know, Flyers. It's not just Raiders. It's it's a long history. And most people just turn a blind eye to it. It's like, hmm, yep, they sure did exist back then. Man, I'd love to probably spend a day on that just reading it. But there you go. Like I mentioned, it's an absolute crime to think about how windled down the minor league sports scene has become in Dayton. Hockey-wise, there's no suitable rinks, and I think Nutter has stopped making ice. The available hockey rinks around here, like I said, they are great facilities, but if you're trying to get a lot of people through the doors, you're going to need a bigger boat, my friend. By bigger boat, I mean bigger venue. Going back to Brian Reese's article, again, GemCitySports.com. It talks a little bit about how some venues were in the works. Of course, Brian mentions the Bombers were looking at a downtown rink, and it just never came into fruition, and that was kind of the nail in the coffin to seal the Bombers' fate. Now, we mentioned with Chuck Gabringer, I think that was episode 39 talk about his book Hockey in Dayton you know, it's not the first time that there's a hockey team trying to build in downtown we've been home of what's now known as the Iowa Wild if everything went according to plan and you know the Gems agreed or stayed with their agreement to kind of go away for a bigger minor league team of course hockey scene back then, a lot different. IHL was a competitor to the NHL. But this would have been an AHL team coming in. And who knows what hockey be like nowadays. So, there's been a lot of great history. There's also been a lot of, you know, moves that have kind of hindered the sports as well. Brian mentions that now there's other things that have happened here. I mean, Fifth Third Field once held a boxing match. I don't know why they don't try that again. That was that'd be pretty cool. I mean, Dayton Dutch Lions wanted to play a game at Fifth Third Field. It eventually got rained out. I think they just moved it back home. I think Beaver Creek was the home at the time for the Lions. It's it's really disheartening, especially for someone that watches a lot of sports around here and supports, you know, the local sports scene. It, it it's it's heartbreaking, and I don't know if I see it changing or not, because you got how do you recruit owners to play in Dayton when venues aren't available? You see. Lots of teams coming and going just like that. One day they're setting up roots and then the next day they're in the wind. Uh, I mean, I for like the big minor league levels, I I don't know if I see the G League ever looking at Dayton. I mean, like I mentioned, Trent Arena hosts flying to the hoop and it turns out to be a really nice thing, but you're still playing at a high school level, whereas the G League, I think you have to play at you know, a pretty big arena. At least I think that's the case. Other minor league basketball, you know, franchises, you know, it's not that big of a deal. My, minor league basketball. 
conferences, let's say that. I mean, soccer, we have the Dutch Lions. There's plenty of turf places to play, make it your home. Basketball, like I just mentioned that. Football, yeah, minor league football isn't really that big of a thing. I mean, there were some rumors that the Alliance of American Football was looking at Dayton, Ohio as an expansion team. But I didn't I didn't believe that. I mean, it'd be cool if it happened, then, you know, look at me being wrong. But at the same time, once that first week ended where they couldn't make payroll, it was just kind of, you know, that was it for me. It's big red flag. Followed along with the scores, but... Really, there wasn't anything close to Dayton. I think the closest one would have been Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. It, it still is sad to see a league go, but yeah, you know, it's minor league sports. You're not in it to make a whole bunch of money. If you are, then do yourself a favor and invest it somewhere else, type of thing. I mean, there are some good things still in Dayton. I mentioned the two teams. Rockstar Pro Wrestling recently moved into a new venue at Watervillette, which is really cool. They still put on some good shows if you like wrestling. Not high school wrestling, like WWE type wrestling. Maybe MMA, I'm not entirely sure. But... There is good things still here. Will we see it improve? I don't know. Maybe we're in the bad part of the circle before things get better again. I'm not sure. It's it's a shame, especially for hockey-wise. I mean, considering that the amount of Turner Cups won by the first round of the gems... The Cup won by the Dayton Demons. Their second year was extraordinary. I want Dayton to succeed more. And I want the Dynamo to... The Dynamo 2.0. Not the indoor soccer Dynamo. I really wanted that to grow roots. I was excited. And the new owner came. Looks like, hey, more money. We'll go pro. And then radio silence. And that was it. I hear through the grapevine that it's gone. So, there you go. You might call me a hypocrite because this podcast deals with Dayton and Cincinnati sports, but like I mentioned, for me, that's the two places that I grew up around. So, you know, I root for the teams around here because I want to see Southwest Ohio do well. I just think about, you know, what if some of the events that cause the downturn of teams, what if they get reversed? You go in like a time machine until, you know, Doc Brown go back to so-and-so, go back to the late 70s and build that downtown rink and see what the Dayton Arrows can do and bring in the crowds and everything. It turns out those Arrows team moved to Houston for a long time and then moved up to Des Moines to become the Iowa Wild. 
be closer to Minnesota. You just wonder if that happens, what's the timeline of Dayton hockey? Do we even see the Bombers? Do I even get a shot at, you know, broadcasting hockey? I don't know. I mean, Dayton Dynamo 1.0 bounced around a couple of venues, eventually stopped, uh, stopped at the last venue at the Dayton Convention Center. If that's never built, then... I don't know. I still wish that Austin Landing built that hockey rink. That was when I was in college. I think the Bombers were behind that drive, and it just never happened. There's still plenty of space for that to happen, but you have to have someone. And I mentioned, you know, Spike It building on a former paper factory in West Carrollton, and... Robert's completely demolished, which, by the way, they're the people responsible for that construction. They're doing a really nice job cleaning it up. And we're going to have an empty lot soon. Still a little sad to think about. And just realize, you know, maybe a minor league venue can work there. I mean, you're at 75, a pretty big road. Old US 25, if you know what that is. That's the road before 75 was a thing. Yeah, I know. Crazy, isn't it? And you look at Huber Heights and the building of the Rose Center, you know, an outdoor concert venue. You think, why couldn't that work up there? I mean, it's not exactly, you know, a short trip from Tropwood, but. You know, it's a lot closer than it is the southern part of the Dayton metro area, which would be, you know, your Centervilles, your West Carrolltons, that type of thing. I just want people to realize that Dayton, Ohio, still has a great sports history, never be taken away, and Dayton, Ohio can be a great place for sports, as is Cincinnati, Ohio, my two places. Again... Last time, this is titled Dayton's Minor League Sports Crisis by Brian Reese. And you can find it at gemcitysports.com. Read it long for yourself. Like I mentioned, it is a good article. And the second website is daytonareasportshistory.org. And you can learn about football, baseball, and basketball. And the other sports are under construction. You know, I think Chuck Gabringer would be a great source of hockey history for the Dash website. The book is still one of my favorites. I learn a little bit more every time I open and read it. So, for those out there that might want to bring a team to Dayton with all the negatives I mentioned, it's still a good place. And it's still got good people that are hungry for sports. I still wish that there's more local sports coverage on the radio waves around here, but that's another topic for another day. We'll do a couple quick updates for you. I mentioned the Blue Jackets are actually up 3-0 in the playoffs against the NHL's best regular season team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, yeah, like I mentioned, I'm not holding my breath until the Blue Jackets get that fourth win. There's another game in Columbus tomorrow, but again, we'll see. 
Dragons went 1-1 one one against Lake County after suffering a four-game sweep at Fort Wayne. Dragons took the first game away from Lake County 10-3, lost the second game 6-2. Couldn't get out of the second inning because of the rain and the storms that went through Dayton, and that will be played, I think, the next time the two teams hook up in May. And now Fort Wayne's in town tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And you can follow along me on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon if you like minor league baseball in Dayton. There you go. Or Fort Wayne Tin Caps baseball. I have those updates too. Since Fort Wayne's in town for the next three games. The Cyclones I mentioned, they won the first game. Got shut out for the first time this season against the Wings. Now the series moves up to Michigan. It's a best of seven up there. Cyclones aren't happy they got shut out. Then again, name me a team that is happy they got shut out, and then I'll show you a liar. In the MOS, both the crew and FC Cincinnati lost their last games. Columbus fell to Montreal 1-0, and FC Cincinnati fell on the road at Los Angeles Football Club 2-0 with a late goal in the 93rd minute, I believe. So both teams suffered a loss in their last match. There's a new architect for FC Cincinnati's West End Stadium, and the Orange Glow is back. Lovely. For college baseball, Wright State Raiders pick up their first Horizon League sweep of the season at home against Oakland, and Dayton fell their first A-10 series at home against Richmond 2-1. to The win that they did pick up was in 11 innings, the Flyers, like I mentioned, we got two great college baseball teams in Division One. We have a very strong community college team in Sinclair. That was number five the last time I checked. They play at AIA in Xenia. I say go out and catch some college baseball. Next week is Wright State at Dayton, which normally for exams week, Dayton plays at Wright State, but there you go. This year it's at UD and it should be a good game I'm very excited to see what happens between the Raiders and the Flyers it's another edition of the Gem City Jam or excuse me Gem City Slam now if the Gem City Jam became a thing again that would be quite the episode so it happened eight times between two crosstown rivals not going to swing my bat at that hornet's nest but there you go also this week, a Thursday at Wright State's Nishwitz Stadium, it will be the two games of the Reds High School Showcase that will be played at Wright State this year. It will be Kettering Fairmont against Springboro, and then Miamisburg takes on Beaver Creek. It's weird not to see Franklin at this event this year. It's also kind of weird not to see, you know, more games, more days. It's just the one day for two games this year, which... It's okay. It's a, it's a little sad that, you know, the fact that there's only one day for it, but I'm happy to be announcing, so see you there. And then after that, the Wright State softball team will host the Oakland Golden Grizzlies for hopefully three games. And then it will be Easter Sunday if you celebrate. One quick note, I want to thank Dayton and Wright State softball coaching staff for congratulating me on my engagement to 
my now fiance. <laughs> it's it's really happening. I'm really happy because she makes me happy. Although it's weird not talking sports with her because she's not a sports fan, but that's okay. I can manage. I think that will wrap up episode 93 of the Gem of the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Date Sports Podcast. Asking where have all the Dayton teams gone? Again, the short answer, away. And yes, it is a reference to that song in the 90s, where have all the Cowboys gone? They're still in Dallas for what I know, but there you have it. One last piece of news here on episode 93. The Cincinnati Bearcats recently lost their men's basketball coach, Mick Cronin, to UCLA. Won't get into, you know, how most people didn't like Cronin. I'm not getting into that. What I am getting into is the Bearcats, after a couple days, have picked the successor. And the new head coach is former Northern Kentucky head coach, John Brennan. Brennan will make the short trip up from Highland Heights, Kentucky to the Clifton neighborhood, and now Brandon has control of the Cincinnati Bearcats. I think it's a good move because Coach Brandon has done a lovely job with the Norse. Will he convert that success from the Horizon League to the AAC and the big time with UC basketball? I think he will, but time will tell. The star of the Norse, Drew McDonald, mentioned that the best X's and O's coach that he has ever been around. So I think Cincinnati's got themselves a good coach. It's kind of a changing of the error now you think about it, because head coach Travis Steele will be in his second year at Xavier. Now you got first-year head coach John Brennan. And now for Northern Kentucky, I'd say promote within whoever's ready before you look outside the box because why mess up a good thing but that's not always a recipe for success so I wish the Norse the best of luck in determining who's the new head coach for the men's basketball program at NKU but now John Brennan will lead the Bearcats apparently Kenyon Martin or Kmart, as I like to call him, because Kmart's not really a thing anymore in Southwest Ohio anyway, wasn't too happy about the hire. He wanted Van XL, who was a former Bearcat, to get a shot, but apparently he never got the call. Like I mentioned, I think it's a good hire, but time will tell to see if Brennan can make the step from Northern Kentucky, who is a transitioning Division One team, to a very historic, very strong Cincinnati Bearcats team. It's also going to be very interesting to see what Xenia Buccaneer Samari Curtis decides to do. Because I think he was a little bit sad on the news that Cronin is now heading to UCLA. I'm on the fence if Ohio's Mr. Basketball falls him to Los Angeles or sticks with Cincy. It's going to be an interesting situation and something to follow along in the offseason. But congrats go out to John Brennan. And now the Norse need a new head coach. And some of the names being tossed around. Dr. Homer Drew's son, you know, the guy that led Valpo to this shot in 1998. One of his sons, I think it's his son. It's Bryce, Bryce Drew, I believe. I'm thinking Larry Drew, but I think that's... Uh, former Cavaliers coach. I think he's getting a look at 
Time will tell. Once the Norse hire someone, it'll go on the episode that week. But, again, your little change in coaching for college basketball. And you thought we were just finished with Virginia hoisting the national championship. Just think, after a year being upset by 16 seed, I think the first time ever a 16 beat a 1 seed, you run the table and win the whole kink and boodle. My pick was Duke and, what was it, Michigan State that beat them? I think it was Michigan State that beat them. Anyway, that will do it. Follow me on Twitter at the Mowen and at Gem on Queen Crown. Give this podcast a like on Facebook at the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And listen on your favorite platform by visiting the com slash podcast. And also you can check out the store there, which is brought to you by T Public. Buy a sticker if you want, buy a shirt, buy stuff. There's totes. I think there's laptop covers. There might be phone wallets in there. I really don't know what's all in there, but there's some good stuff. So you will not be disappointed. Please help out the local Sunday Sports Podcast wherever you can. It is greatly appreciated. Episode 94 coming to you next week here on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. This has been the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. This has been another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Closing theme by James Anderson from FreePD.com. Follow the podcaster on Twitter at the Lee W Mowen, spelled T H E L E W M O W E N, and the podcast on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. For every link and platform available to listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. Would you like a question about sports answered on the podcast? Send a message on Twitter at either account or visit theleewmowen.com and click Contact Me and your question might be answered in a future episode. Thank you for listening and your support of this podcast.